Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. Have you ever heard of a bean called the Greasy? How about one called the Big Greasy? Now, if that pronunciation sounds strange, if you think it's supposed to be greasy, well, that's how it's pronounced in these parts, in these mountains. So one spring, my friend Clifton starts talking about finding some special big greasy beans. Now, I didn't even know what a little greasy is. I'd never heard of that bean before. But people around here for generations and generations have been growing green beans in their gardens, and they love eating them. They love canning them. And one thing about green beans, you have to pick them every few days because they just keep coming. And the more you pick them, the more they produce. And we live on a road that dead ends on the side of a mountain. Four of our neighbors grow green beans. They can them. Now you need high heat, a pressure cooker, to can beans safely. First you need to de-string them, though. I've seen my neighbor with a half bushel of beans sitting in a chair, snapping them, removing the strings, not thinking, talking, watching TV. It can take hours. It's labor-intensive, this green bean business. Now, I couldn't find big, greasy beans when I did a search online. I found uh, Cherokee greasies, white greasies, I found North Carolina long greasies, even sandy mush greasies, but no big greasies. And these are all heirloom beans. Around here, people have their favorite one. They save the seeds and they plant them year after year. So Clifton found somebody who gave him some seeds from his secret big greasy stash. And Clifton is a happy camper. Now, you go into some of their basements, and you'll see shelves and shelves of quart jars of beans, green beans. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say something like, Man, we've got 40 quarts from last year, and my wife is still putting up beans. She was up to midnight last night. So, I'm not walking Sammy last Sunday, and I go past my neighbor Jeff's house, and he's sitting down below it in a chair in some of the woods near his house, and he's tending a burn pile of brush that he's got going. Now, he's a most careful and fastidious man, and he says, I just don't want the fire to get out of control. And my wife gets nervous about open fires. So he says, Ernie, you want any green beans? My wife and I are picking beans after we get back from church. Sure, that'd be nice. I don't grow any. How many you want? Enough for a good mess? Yeah, that'd be great. So Sam and I walk down Sunday evening. I take him a couple bars of my soap to try. He comes to the door and he says, We haven't picked yet. Come by in the morning and I'll leave them on the back porch for you. Great. So I stop by the next morning. He's got a big thermos full of greasy beans with a note on top. Ernie. Take some or take them all. Enjoy, Jeff. So I have a bag and I put about five handfuls in it and I look at the thermos and the level hasn't moved. God, I got to take some more. I put some more in the bag. Level is the same. Say, man, I got to, he won't think I even took any. I grab some more beans and it seems to have gone down a bit. 
So I write in pencil on his note, thanks. Take them home and I weigh them. Four pounds. Now they're easily another 25 pounds in his cooler. That man has some green beans. That afternoon I get Dawn to help me de-string them before she heads off to a tennis match. You have string beans in your garden growing up? I ask her. Did your mom can them? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we ate them all winter long. Did you help de-string them? I don't remember. I guess so. So I watched her snap off the ends, pull a string from each side. Now, I didn't do as well at it as she did. I couldn't seem to get all the string out, but I worked at it. So she left when the pile was about half done. And I kept at it. Big pile of strings, big pile of beans. So I get out a big pot and I cooked them. Just like my mom did. Threw in some bacon, chopped up onion, big tomato, not too much water, and I put it to cook slowly. Now this is not like cooking these modern French type haricots verts that people eat nowadays. No string. Don't cook them too long. You want them crisp. Now greasies need to be cooked a long time. A couple of hours on slow heat, maybe even more. The liquid, till the liquid is almost gone. So we sat down that night for a late dinner. I served myself a big helping and dug in. Oh my, delicious. Took me back to the time when I was a kid. Boy, green beans take you right back there. Uh, except for one thing. Strings. I'd missed a lot of strings. I noticed Dawn doesn't have seconds. How are the beans? Good. You're not having seconds? No. Why not? It's the strings. I just don't like all these strings. Oh, man. Well, I didn't like the strings either, but I worked out a process to cope with them. Sometimes you pick up end of a string and suck off the bean. Sometimes you gather them in your mouth. I just ate them. I had a small mountain left in this pot. I ate beans for lunch and dinner and sometimes cold as a snack over the next, like, five days. Not one was thrown away. Well, thanks for Anashira for sponsoring this podcast. I gave Jeff a couple bars of wild oats because he said his wife didn't like soap with a lot of scent in it. He told me later she loved that soap. So, folks, come with me as we go back now to my journey to South America. When I left you last week, my three friends and I were at Bob's place in Southern California, getting ready to head out cross country. But before that, I omitted to finish the story of my first visit to Colombia. I believe I did tell of how I ate ice cream and saw green. Well, after that, we drove back to Bogota. I recovered from that poisonous ice cream. Don Arturo says one day, gringo. You seem to have your appetite back. Are you ready to see more of our country? Claro que sí, doctor. Of course. So we head off to the small city of Tunja in the province of Boyacá. 
This is where Maria's grandparents live. It's Christmas week, and they're going to have a big celebration at their club. It's about an hour and a half outside of Bogota. Now, you remember her grandparents, Kiko and Doña Inez. Now, Tunja is one of the oldest colonial cities in Colombia. One of the original Spanish conquistadores, Gonzalo Jiménez de Quesada, departed from the city of Santa Marta. It was on the Caribbean coast of what is now Colombia in April of 1536. He, it was the first main Spanish expedition into the Andes. And he was looking for gold and emeralds and the riches that everyone had spoken about. Now, Tunja lies at an altitude of 9,200 feet. It took Jimenez de Quesada 16 months to get there. And back in the first millennium A.D., this area was inhabited by the Muisca civilization. They'd immigrated from Central America through Panama to the Andean region. And they spoke a language called Chipcha. The capital of the northern Muisca was located in Onza, which is now Tunja. The head of this nation came Wenchatocha, who consolidated his power in years of warfare. He heard that the Europeans were around his lands, and he decided not to run, not to fight. So Jimenez de Quesada arrives with horses and dogs and guns at his headquarters. Quemuenchatocha was seated alone in a chair, dressed in gold. His court had all run off. So the Spaniards, they take his gold, they take what emeralds they can find, everything else, and they ship him off to Suezca for interrogation. Now, two years later, Tunja was founded here. They built a main square. It was later called Plaza Bolivar, named after the liberator, Simón Bolivar, who liberated Colombia from the Spanish. And not far from this square was a small hotel, Las Residencias. It was owned by Maria's grandparents, Kiko and Inés. So we were going to stay there that night in this hotel. Well... We get there, and we head out for the big Christmas, New Year's holiday fiesta. Social occasions in Latin American countries generally begin late, and people go late. So if you're invited for dinner at 9, you don't dare roll in before 9.30 or 10. Nobody will be there. Your host may still be in the shower. And then you have a drink or two for the next hour or so, you may eat dinner at 11 or later, and you most likely won't head home until 1 in the morning. This was what it was like in those days. Now, I wasn't aware of that. It took several long nights for me to get it. So on this festive occasion, I roll in, and Kiko, who seems to have taken a liking to me, takes me around, introducing me to all of his many pals, Ernesto. Te presento a mi amigo Roberto. Ernie, I present you to my friend Robert. And of course, mucho gusto, my favorite phrase. Mucho gusto, Don Roberto. And then, salud, Ernesto. Cheers. So, have a drink. And so it continued. Ernesto, Don Ignacio. Salud, salud. Ernesto, Don Miguel. Salud, salud. So, 
By the time dinner was served, I was best buddy of almost everyone in the room. Oh, it was a fine night. So early in the morning, Artie, Andres, and I, we're weaving our way down these ancient streets to get to our rooms at Las Residencias. I must tell you, everyone had been telling me in one way or another over the last 24 hours that there was a room in this hotel that was haunted, that had been haunted for years and years and years by some spirit who was aggressive. I could tell they enjoyed saying to me, Ernie, that's the room you're going to sleep in. Now, I thought this was a good story. I didn't believe it. I'd never seen a ghost in my life. So we get there that morning. I hit the bed. The world is turning around me. And I remember thinking, well, if this place is haunted, I'm certainly not going to notice it tonight. And I was out. I recall waking sometime later to someone pulling on my right big toe hard and then my foot and then my ankle pulling me across the bed. My first thought was, Artie, Andres, this is too much. I yell for them to stop loud. Stop it. Stop it. You're kidding me. You're killing me. It stops. It's pitch black in this room. I get up. I make my way to the door and the light. I turn it on, expecting to see two giggling young Colombianos. Nothing. Nobody. The room is empty except for me. I must have screamed before because someone was knocking on the door. Ernie, Ernie, are you okay? I look. The door is still locked from the inside. The skeleton key is in it, and the deadbolt is still thrown. So everyone loves it that the gringo was attacked by the ghost. No one doubts my story. No one says I had just drunk too much. No one said I was exaggerating. They start telling of other people who'd been bothered by this same ghost. Numerous people, many in the same way. So it's later that morning, tired with sort of a major hangover, having survived the first haunting of my life, that we all load up and head to the famous colonial town of Villa de Leyva. You recall my telling you of Kiko's days as a dentist, of his safeguarding the Amazonian Burugo, at least for a few weeks. So they had a rambling house on their finca there, very large living room area, broken down into multiple sitting areas, Bedrooms scattered around. There were two long reading rooms off the main entrance. Almost everyone in the family loved to read. The three most important rooms uh, were the kitchen. This was separated from the house itself by a small walkway. Now, this was Doña Inez's fiefdom. She worked here tirelessly from morning until late at night with her cadre of assistants and maids. Eggs, meats, rice, potatoes, fruits of all kinds, papaya, chirimoyas, avocados, and always fresh limes. It was a great pleasure to wake up in the morning and make my way out to the dining room in the kitchen. And Doña Inés would say, Mijito, ¿quieres un café? ¿Quieres unos huevitos? And I'd say, yeah, coffee sounds great. Eggs sounds great. Thank you so much. The dining room 
had a table that was long, very long. And as I recall, you could see 16, 18, more people there. Always people. Kiko's favorite room, though, was his social room. It stood alone from the house. It had a big bar, a billiard table, and I've told you how much he loved playing billiards, lots of chairs and hundreds of fossil, ammonites and trilobites embedded in the walls, embedded in the floors, floors of ammonites. So Kiko took us out in the hills on expeditions to look for that Tyrannosaurus Rex that had to be there somewhere. He was sure it existed. We did find ammonites of all sizes. So New Year's Eve came and there were special traditions at the Finca in Villa de Leyva. One was eating Colombian tamales. Now, this is nothing like a Mexican tamal. It is more delicious than you can imagine. So you take two large banana leaves, you lay them down across one another, they're in the shape of a cross, and you marinate pork belly, pieces of chicken, pork meat, all kinds of stuff. And then you make what they call a masa. That's like a dough out of uh, this pre-cooked cornmeal. They call it masarepa. Put water in it and salt and seasoning. You mix it up and you spread it out in the area where these two banana leaves intersect. And you put on top of it the marinated meat. You put rice or potatoes, depending on where you are, carrots and peas. You fold over the leaves so that it forms a package so that the masa covers all of the meats and other things inside. And you tie it with a butcher string. Now, it's about maybe four or six inches square, depending on who makes it. Maybe an inch and a half thick. It's like a package. So you put in a pot with boiling water and you simmer it for a couple of hours and voila, Colombian tamal. Now, strangely enough, Doña Inez did not make these in her famous kitchen. We drove out to someone's house. They'd put in an order and uh, this woman made these and sold them over the holidays every year. They'd been buying them there for a long time. Now, do you have any family dish? holiday, special occasion dish that everyone in your family loves? Well, this family loved their tamales, young and old. And these tamales were, quite frankly, maravillosos, excelentes, fuera de este mundo. The second tradition was, at midnight, everyone was given 12 grapes. And at the stroke of 12, you make a wish Silent wish, and to eat the grapes one by one. Hugs all around. Feliz año, feliz año. Now this tradition came from Spain, from the passed on by the conquistadores. But that wasn't all. We went out to the front of the house where Don Arturo led us in the tradition that he had followed since he was a young boy in Medellin. Well, it's called globos, globes. Doesn't sound like much, right? Well, he'd got pieces of thin paper, cut it in the pre precise sizes, 
glued it in the shape of a balloon, the bottom open. It was about two foot wide, three feet tall. He took a few rags, tied them in a ball with some wire about two inches round, soaked it in kerosene. He hung wires down from the lower end of the globe and uh, saw a couple people hold the globe up in the air. Don Arturo strikes a match to that cloth. Poof! Goes up in flames, doesn't explode, but burns slowly. He lets the heat go up into the globe. It doesn't take long. And soon people are yelling, Sueltelo! Sueltelo! Ahora! Ahora! Now, any of you who happen to have been to the Balloon Fest, well, there's one in Albuquerque, there's one in Reno, and you know how they light their propane heaters and the heat goes slowly up and the balloon rises, and when it's hot enough, off it goes in the air. So it's the same thing. This was, these were just a little bit smaller. So it was all of us, plus Maria's uncle, Herman, and her aunt, and their kids, and the cooks, and the maids, and the workers on the ranch, and some neighbors. It's quite a crowd. Great excitement. They know what's coming. I had no idea. Ahora, por Dios, Don Arturo. For God's sake, Don Arturo, now. And at the right moment, and only at the right moment, would Arturo set it free. That globe rose in the air, bright, the light coming through the thin skin. It rose higher and higher. There was like an easy breeze that night, headed to the east, constantly to the east. And it was beautiful. And then we did another one. And then we did another one, yelling with excitement for each release. Déjalo, déjalo. Watching as a string of these globes rose higher and higher in the darkness. One following the, the other, you know, it was like they were attached with a long string, this line, each one getting smaller and smaller. You know, we were three generations, different cultures, wildly different economic groups. But on that night, in these moments, we were like all happy six-year-olds in spirit. It's amazing. Una maravilla. Well, it was soon after that that we returned to Bogota. I felt like I'd been in Colombia like half of my life. Felt like I'd been there a year. So I sat down for the big conference with Don Arturo and Ligia, and he gave Maria and me his blessing. Now, we ended last week with those four American young men standing next to two immense airport catering trucks at the start of another adventure. And I'm going to have to leave them standing for another week because, yeah, we're out of time. Well, I want to thank Anashira without that company and the wonderful soaps that it makes. And without you buying them, I wouldn't be able to make these podcasts. Now, you know, you don't have to give me four pounds of freshly picked greasy beans to get a couple of bars of wild oat soap, just go to anashira.com and enter promotion code STORIES15 for your 15% discount. I almost forgot. I received a few questions from you listeners. 
Here's one from Diane from Lander, Wyoming. Diane, I know you. You're one of my oldest customers and one of my most loyal podcast listeners. You write, did your future brothers-in-law feel remorse for trying to kill you with ice cream? Now, that's a good question, especially for this podcast, Diane. I don't know if they felt remorse. I think they were just testing my mettle. But after that experience of the haunting in the residencias, and after the joy we all felt at the night of the Globos, our relationship seemed to change somewhat. They seemed to be to accept me more. They stopped tricking me, stopped fooling with me, you know, and we became big buddies for years. Okay, send me a question at info at anashira.com or in the comments section when you purchase soap on our website. Or if you know my phone number, give me a call, leave me a message there. And you know, it's a peak of summer in all these northern latitudes, and we all get sticky and sweaty. So my advice to you is bathe often, enjoy it more, and use Anashira soap. Well, that's all for this week. Come back next week, and we'll rejoin those four young men and release them from where they've been stuck in West Covina, California, in my next story from Anashira.